when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, his response was, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he added, And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. When James wrote his letter, it was not written to a specific church community, but rather to the Christian community at large. And while it was written to Jewish Christians around 52 AD, its message still has relevance for us today, offering words of wisdom for the Christian walk and witness. Now the reason for James writing his letter was because he saw some things that concerned him. And one of those things was that what this fledgling church believed didn't seem to be obvious in how they lived. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, one of the pillars of the early church along with Peter and John, leader of the church in Jerusalem and prayer warrior known as Old Camel Knees because he was on his knees so often they were calloused, writes a letter not just to point this out, but also to encourage them in their daily living out of the Christian faith. His argument was that we must not only speak the Christian faith for everyone to hear, we must also try to live out the Christian faith for everyone to see. I suppose you could say it's about don't just talk the talk, walk the walk, or practice what you preach, or even sometimes actions speak louder than words. James, in his letter, is writing to explain how our lives as Christians can and are to make a difference in the world. This isn't about doing things to gain extra points with God. This isn't about working our way into heaven. Rather, James is pointing out that what we say and do should not contradict each other. Verse 14. Indeed, what we say we believe should be evident in our actions and how we treat others. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, James says, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. This is about being aware that what we do and how we treat others should be an expression of our faith and our gratitude for all that God has done for all of us through Jesus Christ. And just as it did almost 2,000 years ago, James's letter should make us stop and think. So I want you to keep these words of James from chapter 2, verse 8 at the back of your mind. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. Scripture tells us that love, being aware, showing concern, supporting others, is a mark of Christian faith and maturity. James gets very specific in his letter. James 2, 1 to 6 tells us, don't judge by appearance, don't insult people, don't exploit people, don't look down on people. 
my brothers and sisters. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Don't show favouritism. Or in another translation, partiality. The Greek word used here literally means to receive the face. The idea is making superficial judgments. Some might think we are beyond that, but of course the truth is we aren't. Favouritism, discrimination, call it what you will, is still rife in our world. In a book called Descending into Greatness, there is a description about the formation of pecking orders. It reads, take ten chickens, any ten, put them in a pen together and spread a little chicken feed. In a matter of minutes, the chickens, who were previously strangers, will establish a pecking order. Chicken number one will peck at and intimidate chicken number two. Chicken number two takes it and then turns around and pecks at chicken number three. And the pecking order continues all the way down to chicken number ten, who needless to say has a pretty miserable life, pecked but with no one to peck. As we read through the New Testament, we can see something of the way the society of the day had organised its structures. Take people, any amount of people, put them together and it won't be long until they are organising themselves into some kind of pecking order. The Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, men, women, children, the healthy and the sick. And in James chapter 2, he highlights the rich and the poor. The problem with this is that when we group people into neat little categories, it's easy to forget that they are all individuals with feelings and fears, with hopes and dreams, and it's not long before they become the foreigner, the unnamed refugee, the asylum seeker, the person not like us. Today's reading from the letter of James prompted other words to come to mind. The words of one of the most powerful sermons ever preached. I'm going to read some of them and I'm sure you'll know who said them by the fourth word. I have a dream. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin but by the content of their character. Martin Luther King then goes on to say, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. They were and remain powerful words, words that would ultimately cost him his life. But it turns out that Martin Luther King's dream is also God's dream. That in him, Galatians 3 verse 28 tells us, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. 
God calls us to love one another and to show that love in practical ways. And what James does in his letter is he points us to something that stops us showing love. Favoritism, discrimination. And within his letter, we can perhaps see how to overcome it, because once it's overcome, we can then move forward in showing the love we are called to show others. So first, we should remember who we are. James addresses us as believers in Christ, Christ followers. And as followers of Christ, we have his example to follow. Jesus treated everybody with dignity, no matter who they were, where they were, whether they were on the outskirts of society, lepers, sinners, prostitutes, the poor, or those at the centre of society, the rich like Joseph of Arimathea, the religious elite like Nicodemus the Pharisee. Everyone. Equal. The second thing we need to remember is whose we are. And this is similar to the first, but it has a subtle difference. We should not only remember that we are followers of Christ, but we should also remember that we represent him in the world. As Teresa of Avila so eloquently put it, Christ has no body, body now on earth but yours, no feet but yours, no hands but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ is to look out on a hurting world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless all now. And the third thing we should do well to remember is what's at stake. In verse 9 we are told that if we show favouritism, if we discriminate, if we pick and choose who we see as worthy of our love, we are breaking the most royal law found in scripture. Love your neighbour as yourself. And in Matthew's Gospel, we're told that we will be judged on such things as who we judge to be worthy of our love, our care. In Matthew 25, at that judgment, they will stand before the Lord and he'll say, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And we'll say, when, Lord, when did we do that? When were you sick and we visited you? When were you in prison? When were you thirsty and we gave you drink? And Jesus said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's interesting to me that in Matthew 25, judgment, the one thing we're told will be judged for is how we treat other people, not how many Bibles we own or verses we knew, not how many times we were in church or which denomination we belonged to, not how great a reputation we had as Christian leaders, but how we treated other people. James in his letter is making a very simple yet powerful point. Being a follower of Christ and showing favouritism, discrimination, are not compatible. We live in a world where favouritism and discrimination in all their various forms are real and present. People are discriminated on the basis of how they look, 
People are discriminated on the basis of race, on the basis of status and success, their wealth or lack of it. People are discriminated against because they are single or they're teenagers or they're elderly. People are judged on their weight or their lack of it, their education or their lack of it, their ability or their lack of it, on the clothes that they wear, on the school they attended, on the town in which they live. My goodness, it was even said of Jesus, can anything good come from Nazareth? The world is full of these unfair judgments. In the case before us, in the letter of James, those in the church discriminated or showed favouritism on the basis of appearance and wealth. But James tells us that if there is at least one community of people in this world where all should be welcomed and all received equally, it should be in the church.